Please go to Revelation chapter 1. That would be the last book in your Bible. Revelation chapter 1, verse 1 says, The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and to take and take to heart what is written in it because the time is near. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits before his throne and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. <clears throat> Look, he's coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and companion in suffering, in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the Spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet which said, Write on a scroll what you see. And sent it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. When it comes to the book of Revelation, I think there's a lot of unique responses from people. And maybe you're one of those people and you you just have a very real reaction when you think about getting into Revelation. Uh, Some people are just scared of it. I mean, they read it and they go, okay, there's, there's beasts and, and, there's, and there's women riding on the beasts and, and, and there's angels flying around, there's these horns and, and the horns mean different things and, and, and all this different stuff and it's just kind of scary. Antichrist, 666, all those things and it just kind of freaks you out. And so you say, well, I'm not going to deal too much in Revelation because it's just kind of scary. And then there are others that uh, look at it and they say, there, there are so many symbols in the book, and yeah, there are, but they say there's so many symbols, and I can't possibly figure them all out, so I'm just not going to mess with it. You know, I, why, why read something that's going to confuse me? All right, that, that's kind of more of an apathetic response. Should, should I really care when I could be reading the Gospels and just, just understanding clearly what's trying to be said here? You know, Revelation, I've got to really dig, and it's hard, and it could mean ten things, and who knows what it really means? Apathy. And then there are others who get excited, maybe too excited, when Revelation is like the best book in the world. And and they read this thing, and and they they just know, they just know that that one horn in Revelation means Russia, we know, right? And the other horn, that's Iraq. And and, and you know, did you see this here? And and, and it's kind of like, 
you got revelation in one hand, newspaper in the other, and you're connecting the dots. You know what I mean? Look at this. Look at this. Um, and I kind of, okay, there's a part of me that enjoys that part of it. You know, I'm kind of looking at that stuff and, and, and seeing ma- the maybes of it. Uh, but, but that's speculation at best. Uh, I think the first 11 verses of Revelation set us up for how we should read the book, how we should think about the book. It's really, really helpful. I'll just tell you from the outset, as far as the speculation thing goes, um, I'm going to try to stay away from that a bit. I mean, I might, I might give in a few times. We'll see. We'll see. I mean, I'm not, I'm not there yet. But um, I'm going to try to avoid it just for the sake that speculation from the pulpit sounds a lot like absolute truth. You know, that's just kind of what happens. The pastor said this, so, so really that verse does refer to Russia, and, and they're going to nuke us, and there we go. You know, it's just all downhill from there. Then the Antichrist comes, and, and Pastor Niall said it was Oprah Winfrey. You know, I mean, it's like, you know what I mean? You, you know what I'm saying, right? You, you get that. Okay, all right. So let's not do that. Let's not do that, all right? Well, I think when the Antichrist shows up, whoever's around for it that, that's a believer... I, I think they're going to get it. I think, I think they're going to really be like, no, no, there's no mistaking that one. Um, okay, so uh, what do I want to say then to start Revelation? Um, let's do this. Uh, and, and you have notes in your in your bulletins. Uh, that'll be helpful because I'm talking about a lot of different stuff. And you can watch up here on the screen. Again, it's in your bulletin. Whatever is most helpful for you to follow along. But um, first things first, in Revelation 1 through 11, Five things that might help us set our minds to the task of, of reading this book. Number one is, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, the NIV Bibles in your pews, I think, says, uh, this is the revelation from Jesus Christ. My Bible closed on me here. Let's see. Let me get back to it. Okay, here we are. Uh, it says, the first words are, the revelation from Jesus Christ. Now, the word from there is an interpretation of, of, of the word of. Literally, if you have like ESV or NASB translations, it'll say the revelation of Jesus Christ. And, and of course, that begs the question, does that mean it's the revelation about Jesus or the revelation from Jesus? Two, two different ways of interpreting that word of. Obviously, the NIV translators in this Bible chose the word from. So that revelation comes from Jesus, but it could just as easily be translated the revelation about Jesus. He's, he's the subject of the book. And if I'm in the first century and, and, I'm, and I'm hearing this book read, I mean, Revelation was written and then, and, then, and then took a little tour of the churches, the seven churches that you read here, and then it went everywhere. I mean, churches... This is one of those books that the church has loved and they accepted it as, as, as part of the Bible. They just got it. This is the word of God here. And, and, and I can just imagine them hearing this in the church being read, the, the whole book. I mean, the whole book being read. And, and they're looking at this going, Revelation of Jesus Christ. Uh, is it from Jesus or about Jesus? I, I would imagine they probably would have said, well, both. I, it, it's coming from Jesus to an angel to John, that's kind of the order it seems like it's going here, but it's all about Jesus. I'd say there's a, there's a mix of both there. And so you could actually say, um, and there's a quote on the backside of your, of your notes, that, that revelation is an unveiling of Jesus. 
His, his person, His power, and His program for the rest of history. I love that quote. I mean, to me, that quote summarizes what we're doing here. This is about Jesus. And so every week that we look at Revelation, I want to bring it back to who Jesus is. Because He shows up all over the place in this book. And He's a little more clear than Russia. Okay? Alright. Okay. There we go. Um, now this week you're going to be looking for Russia, right? Like, where is it, right? <laughs> where is it? <laughs> okay. Number two. Um, if you look at verse one again, uh, it says, God gave him the revelation to show his servants what must soon take place. So, so God showed this stuff to Jesus. Jesus showed it to this angel. The angel shows it to John, okay? That this is kind of the order of it. And, and then it says, to show his servants. So, God wants you to know what's in this book. He wants you to understand this book. It's to show you something here. I, I, I know a lot of, some of it's cryptic and there's symbols and it's hard, but it's meant to be understood. That's number two. It's meant to be understood by us. Thirdly, uh, John wrote down what he saw. Okay, verse two. Look at this. Uh, John testifies to everything he saw that is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. John is just writing down these visions that he has. he's, He's writing things that he saw. Now, that means a lot of it is symbolic. That means John's struggling to, you know, come out with, I'm seeing this and I'm putting it to words. It's overwhelming me, but I've got to write it down because that's my job. God called me to write this thing down. So, so here it is. So, of course, let's keep in mind that there's symbolism here. I mean, in a minute we're going to read about Jesus with a sword coming out of his mouth. I I don't know if if John literally saw Jesus open his mouth and out pops his sword, or if it's more symbolic of of, of the word of Christ cutting and being powerful. You know, um, it's symbol. It's symbol. Okay. Uh, And then, oh, by the way, 44 times in the book, John says, I saw. He sees this, he sees that, and he's just trying to give you the things that he's seeing. And, of course, we're interpreting what he's, what he's seeing. Number four, the reading of Revelation results in blessing. The reading of Revelation results in blessing. Verse three, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. Blessed are those who hear it and to take heart what is written in it because the time is near. There's a blessing promised from God just by attending to this book. Now, I could try to spiritualize that and say you get more blessed by reading Revelation than than the Gospel of John. I'm not going there. I'm just saying God promises that if you invest yourself in this book, you'll be blessed. If you apply what you hear, God will bless you. So some of you that don't normally do devotions, you don't know what you're reading in the Bible these days, you know, maybe you start doing devotions out of Revelation. And if you come to hard stuff, you'll know that we're going to deal with some of it in church. You know, I mean, that's a good idea. And you'll be blessed. Uh, Number five. I love this. Uh, Look at verse nine before I give you number five. Uh, It says, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the Isle of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. What he's saying here is, uh, Rome sent me here to be exiled. Patmos is in the Aegean Sea, little island and, and that's where Rome sends political prisoners, okay? Send our prisoners to Rome, or, uh, to Patmos. John, you're going there too because of the testimony of Jesus. So 
the irony, I hope you can hear the irony here. John, go to Patmos because you need to be quiet. And John goes to Patmos and writes this book, this letter to the churches because of these visions that he sees. And then it goes everywhere. It goes everywhere. 2,000 years ago, you're not reading about edicts from Rome, are you? You know? <laughs> Anybody looking at ancient Roman writings in, in their normal day during the week? No. But you're reading this because you can't silence the Word of God. And you can't silence the people that proclaim it. God will take those words and He does what He wants with them. So John's exiled. And he's writing this book based on the visions that he's seen. And it's going everywhere. And I love that. Now, um, a little break from the word for a second. Uh, we'll come back to this interpretative, interpretation question maybe different times throughout the series. But um, different ways people interpret the book of Revelation. There's primarily four ways. Just want to say them at the, at the outset so you, we know what we're getting into. Um, when people read the book of Revelation, some of them look at it from what we call a preterist position. Now, if you're a preterist, what that means is you believe that Revelation primarily describes stuff that happened in the first century. Okay? So, so when it's talking about Antichrist, it may be referring to the Roman Emperor. All right? So, so, so you believe most of Revelation has already been fulfilled. Now, of course, you get to heaven at the end, and maybe that's still to come, right? I mean, heaven's there. But, but most of the, of the trials and the fiery stuff that goes on, that, that's fiery stuff that Christians face in the first century. I and mean, we know some of the things they faced. That's preterist. Um, secondly, you might interpret it like a historicist. Uh, this one's not very popular today. It used to be popular. But a historicist would say that Revelation describes a long chain of events through history that lead to where we are today and beyond. Okay? So, so Revelation then describes first century to the end of time. The, the whole sweep of history. Not so popular today because a lot of scholars say, you know, it's just hard to fit history, the, the entire scope of our history from first century to now, into that book and say it all makes sense. Kind of hard to fit it in there. So not so popular, but, but some hold that view today. Um, thirdly is the futurist position. Futurist says primarily the book is describing things that are going to happen in the future. Now, sure, there's, there's this chapter 1, there's, there's the seven churches that we're going to talk about next week, and that was back then. But the rest of it, chapter 4 to 21, whatever, uh, it, it's future. It's a very popular view. Obviously, those that wrote the Left Behind series that was so popular, uh, that, uh, that was obviously a futurist position. Most of this stuff has not happened yet, but it's going to happen. All right? And then finally, there's the idealist position. The idealist says, uh, this book does not describe historical events that you're going to be able to point to and say, oh, look, that happened, and, and it says it right here in Revelation. You're not going to be able to do that ever. It's, it's more like you're reading the book going, okay, like when you get to the four horsemen of the apocalypse, you know, one of them brings famine, one of them brings war. You can read about the four horsemen and say, you know what? We've got famine in the world today. We've got war in the world today. The horsemen are riding today. That's an idealist saying, I read this book and I see parallels and it's going to repeat itself. There's been wars throughout history. There have been famines throughout history. So let's get theological truths 
apply them to our lives from this book. That's an idealist. Um, my, my bent will be more to the futurist position, just to so you know, to say most of this book is describing things to come. But obviously I'm going to mix in some idealists because when we read this book, we've got to take truths from it. I believe when the... I mean, think about this. If, if this book was only written for us and, and our future... What did the first century get out of it? I mean, nothing? But like when, when they originally read this thing, and this is from John, that they just read it and go, oh, that was nice. I'm glad I'm not going to be here for that. You know, or, yeah. uh, they, they read it, and, and it was for them. It was for the church in the 1500s. It was for the church of the 1800s. It's for the church of all time. So, so we have to read the book and say, it meant something to them. It means something to us. There's stuff we're supposed to pull out of it and apply to our lives. There's truth in here. That's very idealist, but it's true. So um, that's kind of the way we're going. Uh, I do want to give you, as we go through the book, a kind of a picture of how the first century reader might have heard that passage. Like, oh, you told me this, and that made me think this. You know, how might have they have heard it? Okay? All right. So... That's the different ways to interpret the book. Just a brief overview. Now I want to get into Jesus with the last uh, 10 minutes that we have uh, before we go into a time of communion. Um, Look at Revelation 1, verse 12. Revelation 1, 12. John says, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, which is familiar because Jesus called himself that. And Daniel said there was going to be a son of man. Dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. And coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I am alive forever and ever and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write therefore what you've seen, what is now and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw on my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. I want to focus in on Jesus here. Um, a lot of things about Jesus in this passage. I'm going to focus in on just one. Jesus here is described as the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. Now, what does that mean? Well, you know, Alpha and Omega is the first and last letter of the Greek alphabet. And so uh, what we're probably talking about here is a, is a merism, that's a figure of speech, that kind of, it's like two extremes represent the whole. Okay, he's the first and the last, and everything in between. He, he's really everything. And uh, 
to boil that down, what, what do we mean when we say that? That, that He's everything. He's all. He, he is fully something. What, what are we saying? Uh, we could say a lot, but I try to boil it down to two things. When we call Jesus Alpha and Omega, I mean, John turned around and he saw the first and the last, and, and he saw his feet and he saw his face, and, and really, you know, you look at him and, and you're like, he gives us this, this e- extremely powerful description of the exalted Jesus. Alpha and Omega. Would you look at Isaiah 41 with me? Go back, Old Testament, Isaiah 41. And uh, in particular, we're going to verse uh, 4. Isaiah 41, 4. Uh, yes. Isaiah 41, 4. God speaking. Who has done this and carried it through calling forth the generations from the beginning. I, Yahweh, with the first of them and with the last, I am He, the first and the last. Now look at chapter 44, verse 6. One couple chapters over, Isaiah 44, verse 6. This is what Yahweh says, Israel's King and Redeemer, Yahweh Almighty, I am the first and I am the last. Apart from me, there is no God. If Yahweh says, if our God says, in the Old Testament, before Jesus showed up into human history, that is, as a man, if God said, I am the first and the last, and then you have Jesus here in Revelation saying, I'm the Alpha and Omega, I'm the first and the last, What is Jesus saying? I'm God. I am God. Clearly, indisputably, first and the last was something that God said about himself in the Old Testament. And Jesus says it here. I am God. I am the first and I am the last. This would be one to file away when you talk to somebody that denies the deity of Christ. He didn't really mean to claim he was God. And all these these different things people say. He did. He does. It's right here. It's all over the place, but but here's one of them. I'm the first and I'm the last. Check out Isaiah 44, please, if you need more references for that. You know, I can just hear him. I can almost hear him saying that, John. You remember that? Remember that? That's my father talking in Isaiah 44. Um, the other thing about uh, first and the last, and this is kind of cool. Uh, I don't want to get too much into speculation, but but... Just a little bit, kind of interesting. It sounds a lot like, remember Moses at the burning bush in Exodus? And he says, I, I need a name for you. I can't just go and try to lead the people out of Israel, you know, and, and who's this, who's talked to you? Well, this bush did, you know, the bush told me to free you, you know. He's like, I can't do that. You've got to give me a name. And, and, and God says, I am who I am. I am sent you. And there's this idea of when you say that he's the I am, he's eternal. He's existed forever. And Jesus is saying, I am the first and the last. It's like he's saying, I, I've always been. Before anything else was, I was there. And when everything ends, I'm still going to be there. I'm, I'm it. So I'm not saying it's a, perfect, it's a perfect parallel 
But there's an echo there of the great I am when Jesus says, I'm the first and the last. Clearly a claim to deity. Secondly, um, the second thing I'm going to say about Alpha and Omega is that he is the creator and he's the finisher of all things. So, so if Jesus is all God, I could have said all instead of fully, he's all God and he's go- he created and he f- is finishing all things. Everything. All things. Um, what we mean by that is um, in the beginning he was there creating everything in the world. And through the cross, he's making all things new. We're going to celebrate communion in a little bit. He's making you new. What you originally were supposed to be like. And in the end, he's finishing history according to his purposes. So when you read Revelation, what I want you to think is, Revelation is not about the Antichrist, you know? It's not about the mark of the beast. It's not about that. It's about Jesus bringing history to a conclusion to the point where he now reigns visibly. It's all about him. It's all about his power. So when you read about something and it's kind of freaky and you say, what is that? You, you know, if, if, it's, if, it's, uh, if it's the Antichrist, if it's the false prophet, if it's, these are opponents of Jesus whom Jesus is going to crush. Okay? That's the way you've got to read it. And when you read about the terrible times in the end and all the things that are going to happen, you've got to read it and go, Jesus is going to deal with all of this evil. He's going to deal with all of it. One time I was in a, in a Bible study group and we read Revelation for the whole, we just read through the whole thing. We just took turns reading chapters, you know, with, with a bunch of 20-year-olds, you know, and, and we're just, just reading it. And by the end we were just like, now, what did you think of reading it all the way through like that? And I was just astonished and I thought, you just get this impression that as bad as evil is, Jesus wins. His, his power is absolute. And everything that he wants to happen is going to happen. And it's all going to end in heaven with us being with him forever. He gets what he wants. He's the judge of the earth. He's the savior of the earth. He's going to finish it. That's revelation. Jesus' person, his power, and his program being unveiled so we can see it. Um, Ah, I debated reading Colossians 1. Would you look at Colossians 1? Just because when I read Colossians 1, I think Alpha and Omega. That's what we're talking about here. Alpha. If Alpha and Omega means beginning and the end, if it's a merism, a figure of speech that means uh, uh, everything. He is all God. He made everything. He's going to finish everything. Colossians 1 is, is pretty, pretty great in illustrating that. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Uh, And let's go to verse 15, I think. Yeah, let's start in verse 15. I just want you to hear the word all. Just just hear the word all as it relates to Christ. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. 
And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything He might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all of His fullness dwell in Him and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through His blood shed on the cross. History is all about Christ. The church is all about Christ. We are all about Christ. He's everything. And Alpha and Omega declares that to us. He's everything. He's the first and He's the last. Um, what does it mean to us? What, what do you take from this? You notice that Jesus has his hand out in this passage. I, I haven't talked a lot about Jesus' amazing appearance here. I think I'm going to blog about it this week on the church blog. So if you want to like see a little more on that, or we might talk about it over here during Sunday school. But um, Jesus' appearance. Um, it, it says he turns around in verse 12. And this person is walking among the lampstands. And then it says in verse 16, and his right hand, so so John's very specific here. I mean, it's not his left hand, it's his right hand. His right hand, he's holding seven stars, which later John says are angels, angelos, messengers, literally in Greek. And of course, this has caused many people confusion. What, What do you do with angels? Each of these churches seems to have an angel. Now, a messenger. Does that mean that these are human people? Like the pastor gives a message, he's a messenger? Or are these literal divine beings? Not divine, but, but, but God-created beings. <laughs> Heavenly beings is the word I'm looking for there. That, um, that, that somehow are assigned to a church. I don't think there's an easy answer there. I really don't. Because they're called stars, and because later in Revelations, uh, Revelation, stars refers specifically to angels, it seems, I kind of lean towards real angelic beings. I lean that way. Because that figure is, se- seems to be used to designate angels, like real angels. Now, Jesus has seven stars, seven angels in his hand angels of these churches and then john turns around and sees who's talking to him verse 17 when 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 he sees jesus and most people consider this being john the apostle john that wrote the gospel of john the beloved disciple he, he knows what jesus looks like but but when he sees jesus now when i saw him i fell at his feet as though dead And then he placed his right hand on me. He placed his right hand on me and said, Don't be afraid. I'm the first and the last. And and it's moving to me personally, and I hope it is to you, that the hand that holds the seven stars... The right hand. And whether you interpret that as angels or human messengers, that this hand is powerful. And when John's in distress over what he's seen, that hand is placed on him. Don't be afraid. 
Don't be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I'm the Alpha and Omega. Don't be afraid. And I think for us, knowing Jesus ought to bring us profound comfort. Profound comfort. Because the one who commands history, the one who's bringing everything to its conclusion, cares about you. And when you're distressed, he knows about it. When you need him, his hand is there. The same hand that holds angels and controls history is there for you. I I think that's profound. He says, I'm the first and the last. If I'm bringing history to its conclusion the way I want it to go, don't you think I can take your life where it should go? And that's, that's overwhelmingly comforting to me. You know, when you're little, and nowadays when I ride in cars, and let's say I'm a passenger, I want to know where I'm going. I want to know if the driver's taking a right turn or a left turn. Is he going the right way? When I was little, you, you remember having the feeling like you could just ride in the car, and, and you didn't know where your parents were turning, but, but you knew they'd get you there okay, you know? Like, you didn't have to see the right turn and the left turn. You just sat back and relaxed. As a youth pastor, I've often felt that way, you know, when I was in Watoma, and I'd be driving a church van full of, 15-passenger van full of teenagers. They don't care where I'm taking them. I could be driving, I, I, I'm supposed to be driving to Minneapolis, and I could be driving south to Florida, and they wouldn't know. Be like 10 hours in, they'd be like, wait a minute, are, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Tennessee, are we supposed to be going through Tennessee? Uh, I mean, really, they wouldn't have a clue because they just trust that I'm going to take them to the right place. And I'm thinking, if Jesus is driving history, we can sit back, relax, and trust him. And even if there's a big thunderstorm coming and we're driving through the rain, we can trust him. Let's pray. Jesus, uh, There's so many times when, when uh, I've been anxious about something and wanting you to do something. My agenda. And, and I still have those things I think about and pray about that, that they're on my heart. And I, and I know you're driving. <laughs> I pray that I and I pray that we as a church could trust you. The Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Help us trust you and know that your powerful hand is working in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.